Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you as we turn the calendar to August and we start to ramp up to football season. It feels good, doesn't it? Can you feel it? I can. I sure can. I appreciate your uh, your patience with me this summer as I took some time off, spent some time with the family, uh, got away from things a little bit. But uh, as we head into the season, it's time to ramp things back up. I got a fun show today. Going to talk a lot of Hawkeye football, some Hawkeye basketball stuff that we've missed over the past few weeks, and uh, and then I'm going to have my friend Scott Sipker come in. He has just finished a uh, a long project. That looks spectacular. It's something that every Hawkeye fan, really every football fan, certainly every Iowan uh, is going to want to take part in and and watch. Uh, Scott has made what I think is, certainly to this point, the definitive documentary on Niall Kinnick and, and, and not just the things we know. My favorite thing about this is uh, they, they're positioning it as we all know Niall Kinnick, the legend. Even the people who knew him now kind of think of him as the legend, the statue, the stadium, the name, the speech. But he was more than that, obviously. He was a man. He was flesh and blood. He was a human. He was an Iowan. He was a person. He was a great American. And this documentary is going to delve into that part of his life while also delving into his time as a Hawkeye, as a... um, as a you know, war hero, um, and as the namesake of my favorite place and yours, Kinnick Stadium. So I'm, I'm going to talk to Scott about that here in just a little bit. I'm excited to do that and, and excited to uh, to bring that documentary to to you and to everybody. Excited to see it uh, myself, to be honest. I, I feel like I don't know enough about Kinnick, uh, Niall Kinnick, the person, and um, excited to do that. Excited to talk to Scott. Before we get there. It's August, baby. We're a month away from football, a month from tomorrow. I'm I'm recording this on August 2nd. Uh, September 3rd is the home opener against South Dakota State, and that game is sold out, as are the next five home games for the Iowa Hawkeyes. As a matter of fact, the only non-home sellout as I record this is the Nebraska game. And there's some fun to be had there, isn't there? There's some fun to be had there. I mean, the team that's the closest uh, the team with the most, or among the teams with the most uh, history on their side, a team that certainly uh, 
claims to have one of the best fan bases, not just in, in the Big Ten West, not just in the Big Ten Conference, but in all of college football. The, the you know the, the the game that's not on a Saturday when everybody else is playing, uh, when you can just sit at home. I, I'll I've admitted I've talked about it a lot. It's so comfortable for me to watch these games at home. It's so nice to be able to flip around during commercials and during halftime to have Twitter open and follow what's happening in the rest of the world and, and interact with you all on Twitter during these games to see replays and and get sideline reports on injuries and see Kirk Ferentz you know do a halftime interview and, and things like that and for the Nebraska game to be the one uh, that that isn't yet sold out is it's fun it's funny it's interesting it will sell out of course it will the question is why are these games sold out. There's a lot of reasons. It's it's something that we've talked about on the radio here in Des Moines uh, over the last week. I know Andy Fails, uh, one of my coworkers, did a commentary on uh, WHO TV Sound Off about why he thinks that is. I think there's obviously a lot of reasons. Um, the pandemic feels more over than it did even a year ago. Um, you know, a year ago, vaccines were were available and um, you know things like that. But I, I do think there was still a portion of population, whether you you were in that or not, that was concerned about going into anywhere, outdoors or indoors, with 70,000 people. Um, but that, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. So maybe there are some people who are getting back on to the, uh, to, to the thought of going to an Iowa game. Uh, for those people, they probably haven't seen the completed North End Zone, and they probably haven't bought a beer inside Kinnick Stadium the way I was able to last year uh, in the, the day that should not be spoken of against Purdue. Um, there's a lot of excitement about this team, and, and that's something I definitely want to talk about here as, as we move through this. Uh, the schedule is good. It's a really good home slate. You get Iowa State, you get Michigan, you get Northwestern and Wisconsin and, and Nebraska. I mean, the games that you want, I guess short of Ohio State, uh, that is the home slate. So Iowa has – and then a- Andy's thing was the marketing Iowa has just done a better job of marketing this. They've done a better job of, of putting Kirk Ferentz out there with the media, of putting uh, players out there with the media. I do think that there's some momentum to this when you start to announce sellouts, and I think they announced three, uh, the first three right at the same time. It puts a little sense of urgency into the rest of us who haven't gotten tickets yet. Uh-oh. Uh, if I, if I want to go to that Nebraska game and I want to buy face value tickets, I better do it right now. Um so today or yesterday, we learned that the the South Dakota State game was sold out. That's the the home opener. Of course, the Seahawks game is one of the first to sell out. The Nevada game, which is a night game, uh, sold out. The Michigan game, which is the Big Ten home opener, sold out. And that's going to be a big game. Hopefully, the hope is that both teams come into that four and zero, and that and that's another highly ranked game. And um, even though. The last couple of times against Michigan haven't gone well, and certainly last December didn't go the way that we hoped it would go. Iowa has done well against Jim Harbaugh. Iowa has done well against Michigan inside Kinnick Stadium. So there's a lot of excitement, man, about this team and about this season, and uh, and it's time to kind of ramp up into it. So as, as we move through August... I hope to have more frequent podcasts. Um, I just scheduled uh, John Bonacamp and myself. We're going to do a little football preview next week. I'm going to try to get Rick Brown on here at some point. I'm sure Trent Condon will join me uh, before too long to uh, to do a little ha- a Hawkeye season preview. And then once we get into the season, it's a full sprint. 
just like I've done the last several years, I will have my opposition research podcast, which will come out midweek sometime. I usually aim for Tuesday or Wednesday for that. It all kind of depends on the schedule of the person who I'm talking to. But in that podcast, I will uh, find a blogger or a beat reporter or a broadcaster who covers Iowa's opponent. And it's really just an intensive look at the other team. Um, it, it's not a, a long conversation. It's usually 10 or 15 minutes. And what I'm trying to do is is give you and give myself just a better understanding of, of what to expect that coming Saturday, what players to watch, uh, what what issues that maybe we don't know about. You know, If you don't follow Wisconsin day to day, what kind of injuries are they having? What kind of uh, issues are they having? What's you know the backup you know, tight end who's coming on and may, may be great? Uh, some things like that. that. That's my goal with the Opposition Research Podcast. So I'm going to bring that back again this football season. I believe we'll do the Hawkeye Nation radio show, which airs locally here in Des Moines on KXNO Radio, 106.3 FM, 1460 AM. You can find it anywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, And then we always post that as a podcast here on Hawkeye Nation. So Joe Schmelka and myself, maybe Trent Condon, uh, maybe some former players and other guests like that. We'll just kind of do a recap, kind of all things, usually football heavy, but all things uh, Hawkeye related in that. I will do my instant reaction podcast. As soon as the game ends, I open up my mic and I just talk. And if it's uh, if it's 20 minutes, great. If it's 40 minutes, great. Uh, sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes I say things that, that I ultimately don't mean. Um, but that's, that's what it's for. That's what it's supposed to be. That's why I try to get it into your feeds as quickly as possible because I know you're feeling the same way. That's when I, uh, as a Hawkeye fan, try to consume that content is uh, while I'm still feeling that way. And then once I've gotten a little time to, to get away from that, to hear what Kirk Ferentz said in the post game, to hear what the player said, to read articles by Rob Howe and John Bonacamp and Rick Brown and, you know, the, the register guys and the Gazette guys and Ike hold over at 24 seven and, you know, every Kakert and Docterman at the athletic. Once I get a chance to kind of really ingest everything and consider everything, uh, then I usually try on Monday to do kind of a larger, bigger picture, you know, recap of the game, the previous game, preview of, of the upcoming game, but uh, with a little more context to it. So that's my plan as far as the podcast goes uh, here on Hawkeye Nation for the football season. I'm excited about it. I hope you are as well. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's a busy, busy time. But it's so fun. I mean, th- this is why we're Hawkeye fans. This, these are the times that we we really you know look forward to and live for. Um, I know that that Rob and Rick and John all have a lot planned. Uh, similarly, bringing you weekly pre- press conferences and features, and you know Rick putting things into historical perspective as he does better than anybody else. Uh, John and Rob giving you the kind of uh, the the beat reporter and columnist look at things. Um, I think we we have a really good team right now at Hawkeye Nation, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun as we move forward. What are we looking at this football season? That's what I want to talk about. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
So obviously the big question this season is Spencer Petras and the quarterback play. Will this offense look better than it looked last year? Uh, will Brian Ferentz be a little bit more creative? Will he, will he be able to utilize some of the weapons that Iowa does have on offense um, in a more uh, competitive way than, than he was able to a year ago? Will Spencer Petras take a step that he hasn't taken yet? He's won a lot of games. He's made some big throws. Um, but he's he's faltered a lot too, and so is this the off season where he takes that jump? If it is, what's what's what does that mean? What can you expect out of him? What's his ceiling? If he didn't, if he if it's not his year, if if he didn't make that leap, did Alex Padilla make a leap? I mean, a lot of times you think well, what I thought would happen last off season was that Spencer Petras, who didn't get a, a full off season because of COVID, who didn't have spring football, who got kind of rushed into things going into his second year. I thought maybe he would make that that big jump, or rather his first year. I thought maybe he'd make that big jump going into his second year, going into last season when he did have a full off season, when he did have spring football, when he did go get a quarterback coach and and kind of uh, have another year under in the offense under Brian Ferentz working together. When he had some new weapons, when he had some, uh, but but he also didn't have a great offensive line. Um, I thought that he was going to make a jump last year, and, and he didn't. He just didn't. Um, I wished he had. I know you wish he had too. I don't think anybody's rooting against Spencer Petrus at this point. He seems like a great dude, a great leader. Everybody likes him, uh, but he just hasn't made that jump. Maybe this is the year that Alex Padilla does make that jump. That's when you see it a lot, right? He started, what, four or five games last year, got a lot of playing time. Maybe things clicked this offseason and this spring and this summer. Uh, maybe in fall camp he'll go and take that job for, from Spencer Petrus. I don't expect that to happen. I don't think you should expect that to happen. Um, I think anything short of Spencer Petrus playing terribly in the first couple of weeks, and we're going to see Spencer Petrus as the starter. But maybe Alex Padilla does take a leap. Maybe he does make a jump and really take this offense um, under his wing and 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 become that guy, take over that job. He was given the opportunity to do it last year and just wasn't able to quite do it. He won every game he started. He played okay. He played well. Uh, did some things better than Spencer. Did some things worse than Spencer. Maybe this is the year he can kind of grab that by the horns and, and make it his. I don't think we're going to see Joey Labus or not much of Joey Labus barring some some injury issues. And so um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out this fall. But obviously that's a big question mark going into this season. Will the offensive line look better in front of him? Uh, it needs to. It absolutely needs to. And maybe that's the piece. Maybe that's the thing. It's not mental with Spencer. It's it's physical with that line, giving him some time, um, allowing him to, to get the proper mechanics, get his feet set, make his reads, Find the guy, not be under pressure. Maybe that's maybe that's what it takes. Maybe just having uh, Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce in in the program for another year makes them much better. Uh, he, he has a great tight end in Sam Laporta. I think probably an All American tight end. He's got a, a really good veteran receiver in Nico Regani and a couple of really good young receivers uh, in the guys I just mentioned. He's also got another tight end in, in Luke Lachey that's going to be good, I think, and, and going to help him. He's got a couple of running backs he can lean on. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how they develop. That's obviously another question mark. Uh, which Williams is going to take the, the, the lead, um, and, and how are they going to play behind this offensive line? I do wonder if the offensive line is more important of a development than the quarterback play. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of what this offense is able to do uh, going into the going into the season. 
Defensively, I mean, Jesus, right? Like <laughs> this team defensively, as good as they were last year, and they were fantastic last year. We all know that. Uh, as good as they were last year, could they be better this year? Could they be better than, you know, almost any defense that Kirk Ferentz has had? Now, that's that's a tall order. Man, those are big shoes to fill. But when you talk about guys like, you know, like a linebacking core of Jack Campbell, Seth Benson, Justin Jacobs, I mean, the, you, you couldn't ask for three better players. You talk about a, a defensive line... John Wagoner, Noah Shannon, Logan Lee, Joe Evans, Y.A. Black, Lucas Van Ness in there as well, Deontay Craig. You have to like what you see out of them and, and what you've seen out of them and, and the progress that you expect them to make. On the back end with Jamari Harris and the, the things that we saw from him last season, Riley Moss is back, Kayvon Merriweather is back, Terry Roberts is back, uh, Quinn Schulte at free safety is, is on the uh, the depth chart, but you know, does Cooper DeGene, does Xavier Wampa, uh, do guys like that make a play for playing time? And if they do, are they gamers? I mean, are they going to you know force Phil Parker to play them more? I'm excited to see it. I think everybody should be. Another big question is going to be special teams. You know, having the kicker, we, we've, we're so spoiled as Iowa fans to have the kickers that we've had over not just the last couple of seasons and Shudak and Duncan and guys like that, but over decades. Um, can Aaron Plum or Drew Stevens step up and be that guy? That's going to be a real question. That's going to be really interesting. And then in the return game, you know, Iowa has a lot of athleticism, a lot of guys that they can go to. They they feel confident about it. But losing Charlie Jones is a big deal, man. He's the defensive or he's the the kick returner of the year in the Big Ten. That's a big deal. That's going to hurt. So who's going to pick up that? Um, that who's going to pick up those reins? And then how long is it going to take that person to kind of earn the the trust uh, that? Charlie Jones had earned in that position. It got to a point where you weren't worried about Charlie. He was going to make the right decision, even if it was one where, as it was happening, you're kind of like, Ugh! he had earned that right. So how long will that take for somebody else to do that? I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, obviously all of the talk is going to be on Spencer Petrus and the quarterbacks. Um, is Brian Ferentz, as the quarterbacks coach, does that make a big difference? How short of a leash does Petrus have? How short of a leash does Brian Ferentz have? I mean, Ferentz, Brian Ferentz isn't going to be fired in midseason no matter what happens. But is this a last-ditch effort uh, from Kirk and from this staff to, to kind of, like, let's say they're as bad this year as they were last year. And regardless of the outcome of the games, regardless of, of where they end up at the end of the season, if the offense is 115th or whatever it was last season – that's a really hard pill to swallow. And if you've got a generational defense and a solid special teams and a team that can win you 10 games with 120, 20th ranked offense or, again, whatever it was last season, how much are you leaving out there by by allowing this offense to falter the way it has? So there's, there's a lot of questions there. But I do think the amount of talent in the skill positions is as high as it's been in a long time. I think if the offensive line can come together and play well, and I think they have to be better than they were last year. Um, not that they need to be, which they do, but that they they almost 
by definition have to be. They have more um, – like I can't envision a scenario where they're worse than they were last year. So that all that all points in the right direction. And you heard that from Kirk Ferentz at Media Days last week in Indianapolis. And I remember distinctly a year ago – all of the offseason talk, at least here in Des Moines, where we get a lot of Iowa and Iowa State kind of equal coverage. I know it's not quite the same out in the eastern part of the state. When I lived in Iowa City for years, I know it wasn't like that. I'm sure it's not like that in Cedar Rapids or Cedar Falls or the Quad Cities or Dubuque. I'm sure you don't get as much Iowa State as we get here. Maybe not even in in western Iowa where you know Nebraska is going to be a bigger deal or in northern Iowa where Minnesota is going to be a bigger deal. But here in Des Moines... In central Iowa, we get a lot of Iowa State. And a year ago, all of the offseason talk was about Iowa State. And rightfully so, man. They brought back a lot of guys, uh, had a lot of hype. They were the preseason top 10 team, even though Iowa was the top 10 team that came out of that game with a win last year. They were the hype. They had the hyped young coach. They were the you know popular sleeper pick to make a run to the not just the Big 12 championship, but the college football playoff. And yeah, it's fun that they they weren't able to do that. But um, there was a a moment about a year ago at media days and and not long after when Kirk Ferentz started speaking with the media more, as he does this time of year, where he started to get the sense that Kirk Ferentz really liked his team. He really thought he had something good. And he kind of liked flying under the radar, at least in state. He kind of liked not being the team that everybody was focused on. He was okay being picked you know, second or third in the Big Ten West. He was okay people thinking that Scott Frost finally had it put together or that P.J. Fleck was going to do something special in Minnesota or that Wisconsin was just going to continue their march through the Big Ten West year in, year in and year out. Kirk Ferentz felt like he had a good team last year, and then we saw it on the field, and he did. It wasn't perfect. Maybe felt just short of great. But 10 wins a division championship, a chance to win a, a Big Ten championship. I mean, as high as, what, fourth in the, in the rankings? What were they after that Penn State game? Something like that. Just to even put yourself into a game like you had against Penn State, like an opportunity you'll probably have against Michigan and maybe Ohio State this year if, if you do what you need to do leading into those games. And it feels like Kirk Ferris feels that way again this year. He's got this quiet confidence. He's not. He's never going to be a boisterous dude. He's never going to come out and predict that they're going to win the Big Ten West. He's never going to come out and predict that they're going to be great. It's always going to be couched. It's always going to be measured. But you can also sense when he's confident, when he feels good. Just the words he chooses, the way he talks, the things he doesn't say. He's not bracing people for a bad offense this year. He's not bracing people for a disappointing season this year. He's doing the opposite. He feels like he's got a good team. He feels like he's got an offense that's going to turn some heads and maybe not be a top 25 offense in the country. Um, although if, you, if you're able to put that together, you may be a Big Ten championship caliber team. Uh, but an offense that's capable enough of winning games, of moving the ball, of, of winning the field position game, of scoring points – that you can have another really, really good season in Iowa City. And so that that makes you feel good, that that confidence that Kirk Ferentz has, or at least it makes me feel good. I think it should make you feel good. A couple of other just quick uh, football notes I want to get to. Do a little bit of basketball. 
uh, before we have Scott Sipker come in and talk about Niall Kinnick and, and his awesome new documentary, uh, which is coming out later this month. Uh, I love that it's coming out on August 24th, 24 being Niall Kinnick's number, uh, being my favorite number. Uh, that's that's a nice little touch. I'm going to ask Scott if, if that's on purpose. I hope it was. If Even if it wasn't, he should say it was. Um, the Big Ten has gotten bigger since the last time you and I spoke. USC and UCLA are coming into the league in a couple of years. It's really interesting. I mean, it's great, sure. Given that we can't turn back the time, uh, turn back the world to a time where – you know, college football and college athletics were what we remember them growing up. You know, it's never going back to what it was. Money is always going to rule the day. Uh, expansion is here and it's happening. But, um, so so given all that, putting aside things like geography and traditional rivalries, and you know, avoiding eight-hour flights, um. <laughs> This is the best thing the Big Ten could have done. Honestly, it may be better than adding Texas and Oklahoma, what the, what, what the SEC is in the works of doing. Adding USC and UCLA not just adds you know two of the biggest brands in all of college sports. Uh, it adds the biggest market that's out there. It feels like New York isn't a college town. And Los Angeles isn't a college town by any means, but... They do have a history there. There is it is a college sports town to some degree. Um, when those schools are good, USC especially. I mean, when you've got Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell on the sideline of practice, when you've got UCLA packing the Rose Bowl and you know going to Final Fours, um, these are huge, huge gets. This is great for the Big Ten. And even if Iowa is is only in a great position because. 150 years ago, they were in the right place geographically. Uh, you'd rather be where Iowa is than where most other schools are. There's no, you know, there, there's the, there's the the 15 other Big Ten schools and the 16 soon to be SEC schools, and outside of that, everybody else is in a worse position. Even the big guns, even the big names, even the Florida States and the Miamis and the Clemsons and the, you know. North Carolinas and Dukes and Oregon's and Stanford's. You'd much rather be where Iowa is than any of the schools I just named because you have certainty. You have a future laid out for you. You know where you're going to be playing in 10 years. Now, you don't know who, maybe. You don't know how much this is going to expand. You don't know how much things are going to change. But at least as we sit here today, you're in the conference you want to be in. It's going to be wild playing USC and UCLA. Uh, it's going to be so interesting making an October trip to a Rose Bowl. To the Rose Bowl. Not a Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. Um, seeing UCLA at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. It's going to be really interesting. And I think it's a good move. It's going to be interesting to see what they do from here. Um, I know there's been talk about Stanford and Oregon and Washington and Cal. I think that'd be a smart move. I think the, those all would all fit in the Big Ten, and it'd also give kind of a, a six-team contingent over in the West where uh, you could almost break things up into, into pods, reduce some of that travel. I also think that you're just going to wait and see what Notre Dame does, and is Notre Dame going to be able to get the kind of TV contract they want? 
and really are the Big Ten and the SEC who are running this whole thing going to be able to put the pressure on Notre Dame to enter a conference? Because Notre Dame won't enter a conference unless one of two things happens. One, the only route to a college football playoff and therefore a national championship is in a conference, and I'm not sure that's going to happen. But if they were able able to structure the college football playoff where you have to have played in a conference, then I think Notre Dame would go to a conference. And I think the Big Ten is the only legitimate option there. The other one is scheduling. If you're able to force Notre Dame into, you know, if, if Notre Dame's unable to schedule Michigan and Michigan State and USC and schools like that because they're an independent and the only games they can get are Navy and then, you know, the Cincinnati's and Iowa State's or whoever's left over in the Pac-12 or whoever's left over in the ACC after they're eventually raided. If Notre Dame can't put together a schedule that is seen nationally as a legitimate big-time football schedule, therefore you know, garnering a legitimate TV contract, therefore garnering high rankings and a chance to play for a national championship, if they can't get those things through scheduling, then I can see them entering a conference. Short of those two things... I think they're just fine where they are. So it'll be interesting to see where I where where the Big Ten goes from here. I think Kevin Warren has um, silenced a lot of doubters, and uh, I, I'm just glad that Iowa is where Iowa is. And then you know some NIL collectives have uh, have come about since the last time we spoke. The Iowa City NIL Club, which was put together by players by football players, um, they've raised a lot of money already through their kind of season pass, digital pass, uh, sponsor membership sales. Um, I did not buy one of those. I want to see what this entails, what this means, what this looks like. I'm a little hesitant on some of the NIL stuff, not because I don't think they should be paid or they, they, they shouldn't earn it. Um, and I think something like the NIL club, the one where you kind of buy a, a membership and then you get these benefits – I think that makes a lot of sense, and if you're a hardcore Hawkeye football fan, I totally understand why you would want to do something like that. And again, maybe halfway through this season, I will see kind of the benefits that those people have and realize I made a mistake by not buying into this thing when I when I had a chance to. Then you've got the Swarm Collective, and again, that that's a little harder for me to just donate to a collective that's then going to give money to players. And I, I don't know why I feel weird about that because I do feel like these players not only should be able to capitalize off work that they, that they do and, and you know their own name, image, and likeness, but I do think they should be paid at this point. And I think that's probably the next thing that needs to happen, the next domino that needs to fall is if the next TV contract in the Big Ten is going to pay each school over $100 million a year, some of that money needs to be funneled to the players. It just does. It's just it's just long past time for something like that to happen, and I know that opens a whole bunch of other doors that you have to deal with as far as employment and laws with that and transferring and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, if these guys become employees, it's a whole different thing. I do think it needs to happen at some point. I don't like that the payment of players 
is just one more thing that's being put onto the fans. The fans who already pay a lot of money for a lot of different things. So it's going to be interesting to see where these things go. It's a brave new world in, in college athletics. Um, but hey, it's a fun one as well. A couple of minutes on basketball before we get to our conversation with Scott Sipker about the the new Kinnick documentary that's coming out later this month. Um, Keegan Murray and the show that he put on at the NBA Summer League was fantastic. Um, you know, it, it's it's the Summer League, so you don't take too much uh, out of it, I guess. Uh, but you did exa- he did exactly what you hoped he would do if you're a Sacramento fan. Um, and certainly for us Iowa fans, it was just fun to see him uh, be the summer league MVP, really carry the Kings, uh, play really well, play the way we know him to play. Not super flashy, just really good, solid, consistent basketball. That's a lot of fun. Seeing Chris Murray um, kind of take on the leadership role with this team, this Hawkeye team, is it has been fun and, and will continue to be fun. I know Rob has posted videos uh, from the media availability availability that they've had. And I'm excited about this basketball season as well, man. I'm excited to see what Tony Perkins uh, does and, and can do with a full season, with a, a, a sure thing starting spot. Uh, Aaron Eulis as the point guard, but also DeSante Bowen. And, um, you know, by all accounts, he looks the part as a freshman. Um, Patrick McCaffrey and, and what kind of leap he can take. I'm, I'm really excited to see that. As I've said before on this podcast, I think Chris Murray could take the kind of jump, maybe not quite as big, but the kind of jump, uh, a similar jump that his brother took a year ago, and still not be the kind of standout, for sure thing, best player on the team this year because he's just going to be surrounded by a little bit more talent than Keegan was, or at least a little bit more developed talent than Keegan was. Still the big, big question inside. Is Philip Robracha, does he have another level or is, is he the guy that we saw last year? Which is, is fine, is serviceable, is is good, but not great. We all got so spoiled with Luca Garza. Uh, but is Philip Robracha a guy who can who can take a step? Is Riley Mulvey ready? Is Josh Agundale going to be ready? You just worry about that. That's asking a lot. But I think the the starting certainly four of the starting five are super intriguing and you're excited about I think guys like Peyton Sanford who has grown this offseason and I, I just I, I love that for him I hate that as a dude who stopped growing in like seventh grade um and you know I, I know Price Sanford his younger brother was in town over the weekend saw some photos of them um so that'd be a really cool get along with um you know some some of the other recruiting wins that I was had in basketball over the last couple of weeks um, I'm just I'm excited about this team. I really am. Uh, I think they're going to be good. You have Connor, of course, bringing his veteran mentality and everything back. Um, Matt Gaten's on the bench now. I think that's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm just I'm super excited about this team, and we'll have a lot more time to to dive into this more uh, as we get closer to the season, as we get through football and uh, start to get to to some of the games. They're going to have such a tough slate of non conference games. December is going to be such a big month for this team. Getting off on the right foot, not starting 0-2 in the Big Ten. We don't know what that schedule is going to look like. Maybe Iowa will only have one December Big Ten game, 
because of you know so many other Power Five games uh, on that non-conference slate. But you know, not starting zero and two in the Big Ten is going to be big. Winning a few of these games, you know, playing tough against teams like Duke in Madison Square Garden, you know, showing up at the Thanksgiving tournament, you know, beating an Iowa State team that you know shouldn't have their chemistry figured out yet. That that's a going to be a mostly all new team again this season, and they've got a, a really good coach, and they had a really good season last year. But that's a game Iowa should win, I think. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I get more excited for basketball than I do for anything else. You could probably hear that just in you know the years of me doing this podcast. Uh, Iowa basketball is my favorite sport. It's my favorite thing. I just love it. And I'm optimistic about it even when they're not supposed to be great. We'll see how good they are this year. But I'm excited. All right, as I mentioned earlier, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, a filmmaker, an actor, and an all-around good dude. It's Scott Sipker. What's up, Scott? Oh, what an introduction. You want to be my agent? Sure. Okay. Um, what, what's your rate? <laughs> it's high. Uh, all right, you're fired. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, that was a quick relationship. I, I, I can we put can it keep on my resume, though. I appreciate right. that. Um, okay, so you made... Kinnick the documentary, and if people haven't seen the the trailer, I highly recommend they do that. It's it's everywhere. It's on social media. What's the best place for people? Yeah, to go just see that if right you now? just search it on Google or go to my Facebook page, that's where it got a lot of traction. Put it on TikTok, Twitter. It's hopefully is everywhere. I'm trying to make it be everywhere. And so to anybody out there listening who's already shared it, thank you so much. Uh, if you haven't shared it, please do. If you like it, I'm not going to force you to do it, but I think you'll like it. And uh, helping us get the word out. We're a pretty small group here, uh, although the, I think the film feels much bigger uh, than than the little group that we are. But any help we can get with marketing is very, very helpful. At okay, this point. so before we get into the the film, and I want to talk to you about it, like when when and how are people going to be able to see this movie? So it's going to be on uh, Vimeo. Uh, on demand, so you'll be able to go on Vimeo.com and then stream it to your whatever device you have, Chromecast or whatever you use. Uh, you'll be able to see it there. Cool. August 24th? August 24th, that's right. Is uh, the 24th, was that on purpose? That was on purpose, Good. yes. You are one of the few so. people who have noticed my purposeful so. picking of uh, Niall's number at the end of well, August. Well, I have this thing, like, uh, like I have a... For a long time, all my like usernames were the two four because I had this weird thing where a bunch of my favorite athletes have worn the number twenty four. Mm. Uh, Niall Kinnick, Kobe Bryant, um, Barry Bonds had was twenty five, but Willie Mays was twenty four. That's why Bonds was twenty five because his, his godfather. Um, I liked Jeff Gordon, uh, you know. So the, there's like the, there was this. Uh, my best friend was uh, was number twenty four when we played high school football. So like there was this the two four was born out of this. And so, yeah, as soon as I saw the 24th, I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's I, well done. It was like I, I have a small window after the fair, before football season starts, before, you know, during the fair, I'm not going to get much traction, right, right, for news. But once football season, I ain't going to get it either. So it was like, oh, wait, there's the 20, the 24th is Perfect. available. Let's do this. So when did this project begin and kind of what sparked uh, what sparked this, this whole thing? Really, it's kind of a practical thing. After Iowa Nice came out 10 years ago, scrambling to try and find what was the follow-up going to be. So I had a bunch of ideas, including we shot a pilot television show called Marooned. It's a mockumentary about two actors from the coast who get stuck in Iowa after the tax film credit scandal. And it's up on YouTube. You can watch it. It 
I still love it. I think it's really good, but we just didn't have the platform at that point to get traction. And so it's just lived on YouTube. And so kept trying to do other things. Um, along the way, had the idea of like, well, what if we do a documentary on Jack Trice and Niall Kinnick? And at the time, it just, no one really believed that we would that we should do a 90-minute film. We should stick with two minutes for a while. And they were right. We hadn't built up the trust with audiences yet. Uh, so that idea of doing a documentary on a University of Iowa student and an Iowa State University student morphed into Iowa, or Hawkeye Nice and Cyclone Nice, the two follow-ups to Iowa Nice with the Iowa Nice guy. And that's what ESPN picked up and then asked us to be on their air for two seasons doing college football comedy content. And that's also when you guys in the Murphy and Andy show asked me to come on. Yeah. So all worked out a couple years after that. We finally went, tried to raise funds for the film. We failed miserably uh, and eventually just decided we're just going to problem solve our way through this. So I was able, uh, through the help of Tim and Rachel Scheib, Brian Chittenden, and Dr. Dick Deming, get a small amount of funds to be able to pay for our travel costs, which were a lot. I mean, this film took us all over the place, uh, down to Arizona, uh, to Corpus Christi, where uh, the USS Lexington is docked, our dry docked where that's that's the actual aircraft carrier that Niall served on. And we got free reign of that place for three days. Wow. We went places that they said, hey, you know, don't be stupid, but you can take the chain off. If it says don't go, you can. So I like climbed to the top. Uh, it, it was incredible. We got amazing shots. And we also, when we were in Corpus Christi, we got to interview um, some individuals who relieved Nile Squadron on wow. the USS Lexington. A guy uh, who was 100 years old who flew the, um, the, the, um, the successor to the plane that Nile flew. And he walked us through how you flew the plane. And it was incredible and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of that didn't end up making it into the film, whereas we trimmed it back down. But um, that really helped inform us. And we, there are plenty of shots of the Lexington there. But anyway, we were able to get the funds and uh, slowly through uh, a lot of um, time uh, get to get the film finally finished. So you've, I mean, as we sit here today... You're among the foremost experts on Niall Kinnick. I mean, you may know more about him as a person, certainly than anybody who who never met him. Yeah, for a guy that was born, you know, who would be, you know, uh, is be over a hundred now. Uh, you know, that that makes him what uh, seventy years. Uh, oh gosh, no, I'm older than that, but sixty <laughs> years older than me. Yeah, for somebody that's sixty years older than me that I never met, um, I do feel like I've gotten to know him as best as I can. Like. I really feel, I don't want to be cheesy, but a connection to the man. I, I've read, I feel like everything that he ever wrote that's still around in his own hand, anything he typed, uh, listed to to the few of the speeches, and just get to know him and get to know his family, the surround, just his environment. I do feel, I, I, I think I know him as best as I possibly could. So Kinnick, like the word to me, Growing up, I'm not even sure I associated it with a person for a long time, right? It, it was a stadium, and then it's this this guy, this this player who won the Heisman, and now it's this statue, and there's this speech and this story. Uh, one of my favorite things about the trailer for this documentary is your kind of stated mission is to go beyond the kind of legend. And you, you even say in the trailer, like some people who even know, knew him 
now kind of see him as this legend. It's it, it's impossible not to. Um, I didn't even know that the coin flipped before every Big Ten game had Niall Kinnick on it. Like the, he is an absolute legend. It's hard to see him as a man. Why was it important for you to get beyond the legend and the myth and the the creation and and get to the person? I think what Niall represents is something we should all strive for. And when you make him this 20-foot bronze statue alone, you make him unapproachable. It almost seems like the things he achieved are not options for us regular folks. And so my hope is is that by showing that Nile was a person, a real person with flaws and emotions, that that we can be more inspired to to learn the lessons that he laid out in the way that he lived his life. So documentaries, and especially documentaries about people like this, um, they they can try to find maybe maybe not even try to find, but stumble upon or happen upon um, a more troubling, albeit a more complete uh, version of the of the person, right? Um, I worry that Iowa fans don't want a more troubling version of 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 Niall Kinnick. Are they going to get that in your film? I don't think so. And I, the team and I, right away when we got together and we wanted to do this project, one of the things I said to everybody, and it was speaking to myself as well, is that we cannot fall in love with Niall. Right. Because when you do, you do not become objective. And... And so I feel like what we have put on the screen is fair. It is, it is a, a representation of Nile that, that is authentic as best as we can. And so I, I don't think that uh, there's anything in here that is going to alter the high status that Nile holds in the hearts and minds of Hawkeye fans, Iowans in general, college football fans who know who he is. Uh, you know, I, I try, but I wanted to find, I mean, I really tried to find whatever we could, but he was such a good guy and he so thought, he was such ahead of his time. Uh, you know, the, the most that I can do that maybe I thought, oh, we do have something in this documentary that w- really does strip away that, uh, th- that legend is Niall, he, he swore sometimes. And you don't think about Niall Kinnick swearing. And it wasn't like he's dropping F-bombs all over the place. But he was really, he was so eloquent, both verbally and especially on the page. And so he uses some colorful language to describe things. And I think it only makes him, uh, it, it only, to me, rises his status in my mind. Uh, that he was just a regular guy. And he also had a sense of humor. And that also gets lost because you see the very yeah, serious, right. stoic, statesman-like speech. And that's one of the, my favorite things about the film is, is that I don't think most people—I didn't until we really got into it. What the heck was Niall even saying in that speech? What is the Croix de Guerre? What is he talking about? Right. And so we really—we take time. We break down the speech. We talk about its importance in that moment in history, the people who were in that room— it took some balls, excuse the expression, for Niall to do what he did. He, he had a job that night. That was to get up there, accept the award, say thank you, thank his teammates and his coaches, and sit down. No. 
He didn't. He stayed. And he had a few more things to say. And he didn't stick to sports. That's not what Niall was about. And so I, I love how we really break down that, that speech and explain why it was important. Because now, all these years later, a speech in 1939, it just it's hard to know exactly what it means. But I think once you see the film, you'll, you'll get a better grasp and be more in awe of what he did on that day when he accepted the Heisman Award. Yeah, putting that into context, I think, is, is really cool, and I'm excited to see that. Um, do, do you then delve into like the actual on-the-field football career of Niall Kinnick? Yes, I, I'm really proud of what we call the Ironman section, which is the summary of the 1939 season. I think it is the best summation of that season that I've ever seen on film. We... We really worked hard to create conflict where we could because, you know, it's sports and not give away the endings, and the score is really strong. I mean, the, Brendan Dunphy did a wonderful job scoring this film, and it really uh, just it, it really brings the film to life, in my opinion, and you feel so much. And um, the thing about Niall's life is you, th- you think it's this Disneyified version of this all-American, uh, but he was born at the end of World War One. He was raised during the Great Depression, and he died in World War II. And things did not always work out for Niall. He had some struggles, and I think we forget that. And the, the ending of the 1939 season, which I won't get into here, hopefully we can come back after you've seen the film and we can break it all down. But the 39th season is one of those things. And um, it's, Niall is just, he does not have that Disneyified storybook life that we think and I think the film will show that. You've mentioned a couple of times, um, you know, things that had to be cut. And I know that you had, you know, a longer section about Duke Slater and kind of the naming of the stadium and all of that. Um, is there, are, are there plans to kind of turn any of this other stuff into, you know, shorter form pieces? Or, you know, I mean, it feels like you're scratching, not scratching the surface. You've delved pretty deep here. Uh, but it feels like this this could have been like a three-hour movie. Yeah, we we could have done that. You know, it's... It's the same thing that happened when we started to talk about Bob Feller, um, because Niall and Bob Feller, uh, Bob was from uh, Van Meter, and if you don't know, Bob Feller is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Uh, and and then, of course, Niall was in Adele, and then they played a little Legion ball together where Niall That's was wild. the catcher. It's incredible. Um, but even though we went to Cleveland and we shot the statues of Bob Feller and some other things— we just it. We had to accept that even how badly we wanted Bob Feller to be in the film and that anecdote, it just it derailed the film in the sense it just slowed it down. We had to explain who who Bob was, and the same sort of thing happened with Duke Slater. Giving Duke Slater a one minute introduction is just it's not. <laughs> his life is so incredible, and I really want to turn the stuff we haven't used, uh, the stadium renaming story in general, and then specifically. Duke Slater's life into a documentary because it, it's an extraordinary story what Duke accomplished, what he overcome is maybe even the better way to say it. He had a, what a, what a great life. But yeah, we have a ton of material. Some of the stuff that we cut out of the film we will release as kind of promo material so you get a sense of style and feel for the film because we don't want that stuff to go to waste. Like that, uh, that Niall's nickname growing up was June. It, it's, uh, you just don't think of Little June Kinnick no, running around Adele, right? This don't. doesn't fit, which is one of those things. But ultimately, you, you look at the film and you're like, okay, we can cut out. This takes this takes 90 seconds out of a night, and it's a 90 minute. We cut this. We're moving. We're we're going on, 
And the big thing that we had to learn producing this film is there's a there is a ginormous difference between producing a documentary and writing a biography. Hmm. A biography you can put almost everything in. Right. You have hundreds and hundreds of pages. You have to ultimately in the film industry it's called killing your darlings and we there were many darlings that we loved but ultimately you watch and you get feedback from people who have seen it like you know i like that part but it just took me out of the film it lost me there and so you just trim it back and you leave leave a really tight 90 minutes kinnick the documentary uh one more time where can people find this and like what what should they so please follow me do? on social media as we ramp up to august 24th uh, i'm you know scott sipker on social media you can just search uh kinnick the documentary as well and you'll find it there but it'll be available on vimeo on demand where you'll be able to stream it to your computer or to your uh, television screen as you'd like and then I want to have you back once I've seen it and we can kind of dive in we can when, dive, when, when yeah. people have had a chance to kind of watch yeah. this. And, and I'm and sure there's going to be lots of questions. More. I mean, we, there's a lot of choices we had to make. Um, and I know you, not everybody's going to love every moment of this film. Right. Uh, and that's okay. I'm interested to see the feedback and why we chose to do some things the way that we did. And I, I think we did most things with purpose. And uh, I'd love to discuss that further. Thank you for the time, Scott. Heck yeah. Thanks for the doc, man. This will be fun. I'm excited I, I for this. I think every and if you could tell people, anybody listening, yes. just tell people, share it. Uh, we really, we don't have a big studio behind us. Yeah, so is it local people making a, a local story about yeah. a local guy? This is a really, but cool in a thing. national way. Like yes. we came at this from a national perspective, not necessarily. It's not an Iowa centric film. So um, if if you can help us out, I don't want to sit here and beg, but I think people are going to like this film. All we have to do is get them to know it exists. All right, there it is, Scott Sipker. I'm super excited about that movie um, for a lot of reasons. I like Scott. Uh, I want to learn more about Niall Kinnick, and uh, what a great time to kind of ramp up for Hawkeye football season. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to do more of these uh, coming up relatively soon. Have a great week, and go Hawks. 